Tonight we're going to be looking at Psalm 107, Psalm 107 tonight. Um, I've enjoyed, and I hope you have too, I've enjoyed looking at some of these psalms and always seeming to find something that relates to something I'm going through, something I'm feeling. And so I've, I've appreciated uh, the time that we spent in the psalms, and I, I don't know exactly how much longer we're going to do this. I kind of just been bouncing around in no particular order, but probably at least a few more weeks. I've, um, I've enjoyed being able to, to look at some of these psalms of David and find encouragement of how the Lord worked in his life and how it's so relevant to the things that we deal with today. Uh, tonight's psalm isn't necessarily a psalm of David. Uh, there is some scholars that believe it is, but uh, we don't necessarily know for sure, but it's believed that it could be. Uh, but we're going to be looking at a few verses here in Psalm 107 in a ser sermon that I've titled, Lord, I'm running on empty. Lord, I'm running on empty. How many of you wait until the last possible moment to gas up your car? A couple of you? Kind of. Uh, how many of you don't let it get past half a tank before you're starting to think about filling it up? It's better for, for you, not the car, but just for you. Better for the car, okay. Um, I, I, I can't verify that. Uh, but whether you, you treat the gas light in the car that comes on as a challenge to see how far you can stretch those last two gallons, because it's usually the light will come on when there's two gallons left, and if you've driven your car long enough, you figure that you're probably going to get, depending on the type of car that you have, anywhere from like 15 to maybe 30 gallons, uh, 30, 30 miles per gallon. So you can try and, and try and figure out how much further you have to go when that light comes on, if you even allow it to get to that point. Um, once or twice, I've done it. I have, not necessarily on purpose, um, and I, I've tried to see how far I can stretch those last two miles, how far I can go with that gas light on. Um, I can tell you it is a bit nerve-wracking when you try that. Um, in one car that I was driving, it would actually tell you the specific number of miles that you had left before you were on empty. And I remember that the number fell to zero. And I remember thinking, maybe I can make it to a gas station. And fortunately, I remember seeing the gas station in sight and coasting into the gas station because I was pushing the gas and there was definitely nothing going on. Uh, but uh, I didn't do that on purpose. I, I remember that specific instance. I was, I don't remember exactly what was going on, but I was something else on my mind. It was years ago and I kind of lost track of what was going on. And before I knew it, it was showing that there was no miles left before I was on empty. But there have been a few times where we've been on a road trip uh, where I've insisted on making good time. Are any of you out like this, where before you head off on a road trip, you map out how far you want to get by the end of that day, you're shaking your head, Luana? Ugh, me too. I, I have a plan in place before we even leave. The night before, I'm figuring out, okay, I want to make it at least to this point. And you, if you know how, 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 much, um, how long it's going to take, you can kind of figure out when your gas stops are going to take place. And so there, are, there, there have been several occasions where I've, I've mapped out where we need to be, at least for my sake, so I can make the next day a less 
travel day. And I've, I've done this where I've insisted on making good time that I've actually not stopped for gas because I figured it's gonna slow me down. And maybe it's just a male thing, but when I get driving on a road trip, I feel there's like this sense of success and victory when you pass certain cars, and you don't wanna give that position up by stopping to get gas. It's so ridiculous because you stop to get gas and then you get back on the highway and you think, I already passed this car. And they let them, it's not like it's a race or anything like that, but for some reason, I think men sometimes get into that very competitive nature where we don't like to stop. And I've done this a few times where we've actually had some close calls. At one point, we were driving through Iowa. And if you've ever driven through Iowa, there's almost nothing there in Iowa. Um, I was certain that we would have plenty of opportunities to get gas, but as we kept on driving, the rest areas with the gas stations suddenly disappeared. And it's funny, maybe not funny, uh, but when the car runs out of gas, it just stops. It doesn't matter where you are, how much further you still have to go. When you're out of gas, you're out of gas. All you've got is a 2,000-pound paperweight at that point. The picture we see here in Psalm 107 is almost like that feeling when you're out of gas and you can't go any further. It's a feeling of helplessness. It's a feeling of running on empty. Every one of us has a breaking point where once we've reached that point, our bodies tell us that it is time to shut down. It's as if there is no more gas, there's no more fuel, it's just not gonna move another inch. Back in college, I could stay up to all hours of the night, reading, working on papers, and I feel like I didn't skip a beat. I could just keep on going. Now it feels like when, when two o'clock in the afternoon rolls around, I'm hitting a brick wall. After exerting ourselves physically for an extended period of time, our bodies eventually start shutting down. They start shutting down because they can only maintain a certain level of, of energy for a limited period of time. Our bodies need rest in order to recuperate. And the loss of strength and getting tired is really our body's way of telling us that we're running on empty. As much as Psalm 107, as we'll see, is a picture of helplessness, it's also a really beautiful picture of God's deliverance. Uh, we won't look at every single verse tonight. There's 43 in all. But... What we'll see is four really beautiful pictures of God's deliverance out of helpless situations. And even though these situations are not our situations, I think we'll see that almost everyone's story, as we'll look at the psalmist story, is similar. And life experiences are the same. And what I'd like to do this evening is I'm going to point out the first three pictures that we see here in Psalm 107, and then we're going to camp out on the fourth one. But I want you to notice first the wandering in the wilderness. Look at verses 4 through 9 here in Psalm 107. It says, They wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. And he led them forth by the right way, that they might go to a city of habitation. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness, and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he satisfieth the longing soul, and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. So the picture that we see here is that of being lost in a wilderness, almost one that is desert-like is the impression that we get. 
The psalmist paints a very vivid picture, especially in verses four and five. Again, he says, they wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. Now, probably none of us have experienced or come to the point where we have hungered and we've thirsted to the point of fainting. Maybe some of you have, but probably we haven't seen that. I'm sure we've all reached a point of just pure exhaustion where you get to the end of the day and you just fall back on your bed and you fall asleep without even changing your clothes. You're just that tired. I know I've been there before where it's just, you don't even have the energy to change your clothes, to even take a shower, that your body's so tired, as soon as you fall back into the bed, you're just asleep almost as soon as your head hits the pillow. I'm sure there were times where maybe you were so parched that you felt you needed a drink of water right away because your mouth had become so dry that your, your tongue almost seems to like stick to the roof of your mouth because it is needing some sort of moisture and is lacking it. I'm sure we've reached a point where our stomachs began making strange noises because we skipped a meal and our body was needing some nourishment and needing it quick. And as much as we've had these feelings that's, which are physical, the picture here is actually of a spiritual wilderness. Many people have wandered into a spiritual wilderness where even if they started out strong, they've reached a point where they feel like they're running on empty, where they, they feel these symptoms come on, where it says they wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way, that feeling of isolation. They found no city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty. The Bible says their soul fainted in them. They begin to feel what is described there, isolated, hungry, thirsty, and at the point of fainting. And these spiritual wildernesses, they're going to be different person to person. Some people struggle to figure out their purpose in life. Some people struggle with loneliness. As it mentions there, they feel like they're in a solitary way. Some people struggle as they try to figure out how they're going to fit in in a specific location. Some people struggle to figure out how they're going to get by, and some struggle with if they were wealthy, maybe they would find that they have more purpose in life and they'd be able to get more done in life. Some people think that, um, some people find that even though they are wealthy, they can still be in a spiritual wilderness where they still feel lonely and tired and hungry and thirsty more so than ever before. And no matter the circumstances, we might at times, all of us, find ourselves in a spiritual wilderness, even if we're still attending church, even if we're still in God's word. It can feel like you're walking through sand where you're, you're trying to get by and every step that you take seems to be a struggle and it seems to get you nowhere and you feel alone. You're never, never able to accomplish what you set out to accomplish and you want or you always feel like you're struggling with just the simple things in life. So that's the first picture, that wandering in the spiritual wilderness. But the second picture we see is that of being stuck. The feeling as if you're stuck in prison is the way the psalmist describes it. Look at verses 10 through 15 here in Psalm 107. He says, Such as sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, being bound in affliction and iron, because they rebelled against the words of God and condemned the counsel of the Most High. Therefore, he brought down their heart with labor. They fell down, and there was none to help. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and brake their bands in sunder. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he hath broken the gates of brass and cut the bars of iron in sunder. So this is the second picture, that of being stuck in prison. 
Our memory verse this month speaks of a prison that we've been freed from when the Lord saves us. Just by curiosity, can anyone quote the memory verse for this month? Seriously, it's in your bulletin. Romans 6, 14. No one? Some of you have quoted it to me. All right, I'll pretend like you all know it. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. Every one of us, we're all born shackled by sin. And the only way that we're freed from that bondage is through faith in Jesus Christ. And the lesson in Romans 6 is to believers who are living like they're no longer free. And sin still has consequences that we're going to deal with even after we're saved, but the eternal consequences of sin have been paid for once and for all at the cross. And believers are therefore, in Romans 6, they're urged, it says, to walk in newness of life, which they've received through the power of Christ. Some people, because of poor choices, they feel like they're stuck in prison, though. I've counseled people who have struggled with things like smoking and drinking to the point where they feel trapped by these addictions. The drink becomes a, a release for them uh, from all the pains and all the misery of life. And the more they feed into that, the more their bodies long for it. Many are the same way when it comes to caffeine. Have any of you ever had a, a caffeine headache where you're withdrawing yourself from whether it's coffee or soda or something like that, and maybe you've gone a day or two days without it, and you used to have you know, several cups of coffee a day, and all of a sudden your body is trying to tell you, it needs something that it hasn't had in quite some time. We get used to it. Our bodies get, get used to having that caffeine. And even if we don't have it for a day or so, we get really, some of us get really bad headaches. Now, caffeine is kind of a mild example of this. But those who struggle with drinking and smoking and drugs, they see this addiction and this, um, this be, feeling of being stuck in prison on a much extreme level. And the longer you're drinking, the longer you're, you're taking drugs, the more your body is going to become dependent on these things. Some of the people I've spoken to have struggled with drinking, and they know just how bad it is and how much it is ruining their bodies. They know the, the horrible person that they turn into when they're impaired. And they know the terrible example that they're setting for everyone else who is looking up to them. But they still struggle to give it up. It's like the drink is a set of handcuffs that they just can't seem to break free from, no matter how hard they try. Now, not every prison, though, is of our own making. Sometimes situations arise that are completely beyond our control, and we're stuck not knowing how we're going to get free. And this feeling of being stuck in prison can sometimes be the result of other people's actions against you. It could be through persecution. It could be through something that you brought on yourself. Or it could be something completely out of your control. Just because you're feeling like you're stuck in prison doesn't mean that you're guilty of doing something wrong. You may still feel like a helpless captor, but you may not be in the situation because of your own decisions. Either way, the picture that we see described here in verses 10 through 16 is, a, is pretty grim. And notice specifically what it says in verse 10. It says, Such as sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, being bound in affliction and iron. That's not exactly a picture that any of us would long for. None of us are going to raise our hands and say, Yeah, that sounds like a feeling that I want to be living in. But many of us find ourselves feeling just that way whether we like it or not 
So that second picture is being stuck in prison. We see the wandering in the wilderness, being stuck in prison. But notice third, the picture that we see is that of the ICU. Those that have spent any amount of time in hospitals know that the ICU refers to the intensive care unit. Those patients that are in the intensive care unit are those who need round-the-clock care because their condition is severe. Many folks never make it out of the ICU because their condition never improves. I want you to notice how the Bible describes this in verses 17 to 22 here in Psalm 107. It says, Fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities, are afflicted. Their soul abhorreth all manner of meat, and they draw near unto the gates of death. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saveth them out of their distresses. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men, and let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare his works with rejoicing. The picture that, it, that is painted here, especially in verses 17 and 18, seems to describe many people who end up in hospitals all across the world for all sorts of different reasons. Their situation is so severe that it even says uh, there in verse 18 that they draw near unto the gates of death. They draw near unto the gates of death. Now, not every sickness is a result of our personal sin, but the people who are described here in this passage who are suffering, um, they have essentially poisoned themselves with their own transgressions. Again, it starts off in verse 17 by saying, fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities are afflicted. So not every sickness is because of our own personal sin, but many folks end up in hospital ICUs because of their own foolish decisions, which is what's being described here in Psalm 107, verses 17 to 22. Their situation is so severe, again, that they're drawing near unto the gates of death. The Bible describes them as suffering as they basically are waiting to die is the idea. Almost as if they think that death will bring some sort of release from all of the suffering that they're experiencing. It's certainly a dark picture that we see. One that we wouldn't wish on anyone. I've spent some time in ICUs visiting folks. And it can be very difficult because sometimes as much as you pray for God to bring healing upon a certain individual, there's the reality that the healing may never come. Even though people are laying in beds in the ICU, it's not usually a place of rest, even though they're in a bed, which is typically a picture of something of rest. Many people have brought affliction to themselves and are laying in hospital ICUs right now, drawing nearer to the gates of death. This is one of the gloomiest pictures that we see in the Bible, but a good reminder of the realities that we face here on earth on a daily basis. So that is the third picture. We've seen the wandering in the wilderness. We've seen the feeling of being stuck in prison. We've seen those who are pictured to be in hospital ICUs. And the fourth one where we're going to camp out on here tonight is that of the storm. The, the storm, being stuck in the storm. I want you to notice what we see in verses 23 down to verse 32 here in Psalm 107. They that go down to the sea in ships that do business in great waters, these see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he commandeth and raiseth the stormy wind, which lifteth up the waves thereof. They mount up to the heaven, they go down again to the depths. Their soul is melted because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he bringeth them out of their distresses. He maketh the storm a calm, so that the waves thereof are still. 
Then are they glad because they be quiet. So he bringeth them unto their desired haven. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them exalt him also in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. And these verses describe every fisherman's worst nightmare. Movies have been made depicting the terrible storms that can suddenly arise out on the sea and the pure devastation they can bring. The prophet Jonah experienced one such storm uh, where he was thrown into the midst of it as he realized God had sent a storm when God was trying to send him to Nineveh. He fled to Tarshish, Tarshish and God sent a storm to derail his plans. Uh, we see the disciples in the New Testament experience the same situation as they were on the Sea of Galilee. Even if we've never experienced the same, where we're out on the sea in a ship of some sort, where we have been overtaken by a massive storm, we all have maybe feelings of being stuck in the middle of a storm that came out of nowhere and have us reeling back and forth seemingly out of control. Every, everyone, you can almost picture the scene there with me because it, it paints the picture of sailors going down to sea in ships and they're in the deep waters and then all of a sudden everything starts going haywire and you can almost picture that everyone that is on board the, the, the ship is clinging for life as the ship is being tossed to and fro and they're at the mercy of the angry sea hoping that maybe things will subside that their lives would be spared. And it's true that we often take the forces of nature for granted until we're helplessly at their mercy. And so these are the, the four pictures that are mentioned in this psalm. And with the time that we have tonight, we're just going to focus in on this last one, this picture of the storm. And I want you to notice, first of all, the place of the storm, the place of the storm. The picture we see is that of sailors that are going out to sea. They're probably far enough out because it mentions... It says in verse 24, it says, These see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. So the idea is they're, they're not just barely off, off the shore, but they are probably miles away from the shoreline. They are probably so far out that the shoreline cannot even be seen. And there's probably no one close enough or around them uh, to probably rescue them should there be any danger that arises. I don't know if any of you have ever been out to sea like this, uh, but there is probably a terrifying feeling when you're out that far away from any sort of opportunity for shelter or for rescue and you see a storm coming up on the horizon and all of a sudden you're wondering, well, how do we get out of this? Uh, it's, I'm sure, a very helpless situation. Uh, I love the picture of, of how uh, vivid it is as we see in verses 25 and 26 about the waves. Notice how it describes the waves. It says, For he commandeth and raiseth the stormy wind, which lifteth up the waves thereof. They mount up to the heaven. They go down again to the depths. Their soul is melted because of trouble. The idea that it's describing here is that this problem is not going to be avoided. This is way bigger than they ever imagined. What I found is that challenges like this often come up when God is asking us to take a big step of faith. When he is stretching us beyond the borders of our comfort zone, where we feel like there is a, a mounting wave, a tidal wave that is coming at us and there's no way for us to avoid it. I'm certain that maybe, you know, God, God, that we're following God's will for our lives, but what we see is that God is often testing our faith 
with the towering waves and the overwhelming storm that hits us. It's not that God won't use us in our comfort zone, but some of the greatest works and some of the greatest wonders of God are seen out in the deep. And I love that it says that in verse number 24. It says, these see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. God is taking them out far away from the shoreline, far away from any sort of safety, far away from any sort of rescue, and he's showing them things that couldn't possibly be seen anywhere else. And he is showing them such wonders, the Bible says. We may, every once in a while, venture to the limit of our comfort zone, but a lot of us struggle to even get that far and then take the next step that takes us beyond those limits that we felt so comfortable in. Uh, many believers never learn the lesson that God can do incredibly big things through them because our fear prevents us from taking that next step, that going beyond the borders of our comfort zone that are seen, as it says here in verse number 24, out in the deep. We may venture to the limits. We may look out into what appears to be unknown and uncharted territory, but whatever courage we had to take us that far is often overcome by fear and we stop pursuing any further. It's true that the darkness of the unknown may be met with dangers and troubles, but God has promised to be with us in all of those situations that come up in life and to give us the strength that we need to take every step without knowing what the outcome is going to be. When I was a kid, one of our neighbors had a, a stone wall, and this stone wall separated the property between our house and our neighbor's house. And um, it was an, an old missionary couple that lived, they were retired, they lived in the house next door to us, and they, um, they loved having the kids, and we had a bunch of kids in the neighborhood, they loved us running around um, in, their, in their yard, they had a pool that was basically a community pool for all the kids to come and swim in, and so they loved having us there. And I remember one of the things we used to do, especially me and my older brother, is we would uh, run through their front yard and jump over their wall, which led into our backyard. And the way that the terrain was, the, the neighbor's house sat up a little bit higher than our house, and so the wall was essentially shorter on the neighbor's side. It was easily, you could climb it easier, but the drop into our backyard was a little bit further. And I remember my sister, my younger sister, she really wanted to do that. She really, she saw me and my older brother doing it all the time, and she thought, I just want to be able to do that, but she was nervous. So I remember one day I took her out there, and I was trying to encourage her that it's not as scary as it thinks. The drop, though it looks like it's far, it's not that far. It was probably around a five-foot drop into our backyard. And I remember I, I took her out there, and we're in my neighbor's yard, and I got her to climb up onto the, onto the wall, which, again, it wasn't that high of a climb from the neighbor's side. And I went, jumped down a few times, climbed back up and jumped down just to show her how easy it is. There's no threat of danger. I even got down there and I told her, listen, if anything happens, I'll catch you. And eventually she did it. And I remember as scary as she thought it was when she did it, she landed and she landed perfectly fine. And she remember thinking, that wasn't that hard at all. But it was, I mean, it felt like it took ages for me to coax her into doing it. Uh, but by the time she did it, it was just that overcoming of the fear of what she didn't know was going to happen. And once she did, she realized that, yes, this is unknown territory and an experience she's never had before. It was something that she could now take comfort and peace in because she went beyond her comfort zone and found that it's still okay in these uncharted waters. Now, that's not to say that... Um, 
every situation that we're going to deal with is not going to come with a set of problems or difficulties. But rest assured that wherever God leads you, he will also be there to provide and to take and for you to take shelter in as well. So the, first, I want you to notice the place of the storm. And secondly, I want you to notice the preparer of the storm. The preparer of the storm. Look back at verses 24 and 25. Again, it says, these, speaking of the sailors, see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he commandeth and raiseth the stormy wind, which lifteth up the waves thereof. God is the preparer of the storm. God is the one who brings the storms of life, but also understand that with as powerful and as daunting as some of these storms may be, which as the waves are being described, they're completely overwhelming. If God has prepared them, which we're told he has, then he is also more powerful than them. It's not as if God prepares a storm in our lives and then loses control over it and it overpowers him. He is always in complete control. And it's, it's interesting the way that we are at times because many of us are, are so quick to praise God in the calm and the quiet seasons of life, but we forget that God also brings the stormy seasons of life. That's not to say that God is bringing every storm in our life, for many of them can very easily be self-inflicted, and God will use those to show us something or to teach us a lesson. But in this context, here in Psalm 107, we're dealing with storms that God specifically has prepared and is bringing into our lives. We know that Job went through such a storm in his life, and he testified in Job 23, verse 10. He said, But he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Job knew that this storm that he was facing, he didn't understand all the reasons why, but he knew that it was from God, and he found strength in the knowledge that God was using the storm that he brought to him to build his relationship with him. Notice how a similar thought is expressed in Psalm 66 and verses 10 through 12. The Bible says, For thou, O God, hast proved us. Thou hast tried us as silver is tried. Thou broughtest us into the net. Thou laidst affliction on our loins. Thou hast caused men to ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water, but thou broughtest us out into a wealthy place. Such vivid imagery is used in these words. Have you ever felt like someone was riding over your head? I don't, I don't even imagine what that must feel like. Have you ever felt like you were being burned? Or that you were drowning? This is the picture that he paints there in Psalm 66. Thou hast caused men to ride over our heads, he says. We went through fire and through water. The idea is it's just excruciating pain, feeling like they're being burned, feeling like they're drowning. Most believers will pray for God's deliverance from the problems, but, but mature believers will pray for God to use those problems. When, when God sent the storm in Jonah's life, it was for the purpose of redirecting Jonah to Nineveh. Why do you think God sends storms in our lives? Perhaps it is to redirect us from what we've been trying to avoid or some area that God has called you to that you've been running from. Perhaps it is that God is trying to draw you closer to him. If you're maybe weathering a storm right now, it could be that you're caught in no random storm front. The storms may come without any warning, but there is always a purpose. As much as you're caught up in the storms of life, 
Ask God to help you be caught up also in his purposes. So the place of the storm, the preparer of the storm, but notice third, the peril of the storm. The peril of the storm. Look at verses 26 and 27 here in Psalm 107. It says, They mount up to the heaven. They go down again to the depths. Their soul is melted because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. Sometimes we stumble upon a situation where we feel completely out of control. Not that long ago, I described a situation, one of these situations to you, where I was driving in my car and I lost control as I hit a patch of black ice. And I bounced off one guardrail and hit the other one on the other side of the road. It is an unnerving feeling when one moment you're in, in control and then the next moment you're not. You've probably felt as sailors described in verse 27 here, reeling to and fro. And the Bible says they're literally at their wit's end. They're at their wit's end. Trained and skilled sailors were all of a sudden overmatched and overpowered by the power and terror of the storm. And all they can do is just hang on for dear life and pray. The peril of the storm. And notice fourth, the prayer in the storm. The prayer in the storm. Look at verse number 28. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he bringeth them out of their distresses. Do you ever find that prayer often ends up being our last resort? Not that we necessarily plan it out this way, but at times we're overwhelmed in a problem, whether we brought it upon ourselves or not, and we're not always thinking logically. And so we try to do everything on our own, and we try to figure out every possible way out of the problem, how to fix the situation, how to resolve the issue, and when we've come up short and exhausted every effort of our own, then, as almost a last resort or one last-ditch effort, we'll cry out to God in desperation. I don't know if you all have noticed this, but I often find that my prayers to God in a time of desperation are often much shorter than any other prayer that I make to God, especially during a time where it's peaceful and calm and everything seems to be going okay. Anyone else find that to be true? Where your prayers to God in desperation are, are very quick, very to the point, and when everything's okay, you can find yourself praying for 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes at a time, maybe even longer. When life is calm, our, our prayers are often more eloquent well thought out, a lot more lengthy. But when we're in the middle of the storm, there's a sense of urgency. And our prayers become much shorter, much simpler, straight and to the point. Sometimes we just cry out to God and say, Lord, help! Because it feels like that's all the time that we have and those are the only words we can get out. There seems to be a point where we all reach where we can recognize that there is only one way to escape and it is only to cry out to God. If we're ever going to get out of this, if this problem is ever going to get resolved, it is only going to come through God's intervention. So we don't waste any time. We don't try to impress God with how much scripture we can quote back to him. We ask him for exactly what we need and just that. And it's, Lord, I need help and I need it now. No one enjoys going through storms. In fact, this may be a tough lesson for some of us today because you might be in the middle of a storm right now where you're feeling tossed to and fro, as it describes there in verse 27, where you're at your wit's end. The comfort I get when in the midst of storms is knowing that when I'm in heaven one day, 
God will show me how every storm he prepared was designed to bring me to my knees and draw me closer to him. Many times they come when I'm not paying as much attention to God as I should be. God will bring storms when we're drifting away in our devotion to him. It encourages me to know that there will be a day where I will be able to appreciate all that God has brought into my life, especially the storms as I finally see everything that God intended on me learning even during those difficult days. The words of 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verses 16 and 17 will one day be real to us as believers where the Bible says, for which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. It may be hard to think about, but even in the craziest storms of life that you're going to face, in the grand scheme and scope of eternity, it is a light affliction. It is but for a moment. And it work is, works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. It's hard to imagine that. It's hard to imagine that the overwhelming storms could be ever considered a light affliction because when you're in the middle of it, that's the last thing you're thinking. You're overwhelmed. You feel like you're on your knees before God every single day and you're just scrambling to try and figure out how you're going to get through. There are painful days, painful moments that we deal with because honestly, God may be bringing the storm to do some purging in our lives, but it is all for a purpose. God knows that the storms will eventually bring us to our knees where we realize that what we've been needing all this time is him and he'll be there to answer our cries of desperation and bring the peace that we so desperately need. Again, it says in verse 28, it says, then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble and he bringeth them out of their distresses. But notice fifth, the peace in the storm. The peace in the storm. Look at the next two verses, verses 29 and 30. It says, he maketh the storm a calm so that the waves thereof are still. Then are they glad because they be quiet. So he bringeth them unto their desired haven. What these verses describe is the calm after the storm. Growing up every summer, we would spend a few weeks at my grandparents' house in Tennessee. They lived out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, they lived in a, a tiny little town called Flatwoods, Flatwoods, Tennessee. And I remember this vividly because we'd pull off the main road and there was only one road in Flatwoods, Tennessee. And you'd pull off the main road and I can't remember the name of the road, but you pull onto this road and there was a sign that said Flatwoods, Tennessee, population 103. And my grandparents lived at the last house on that road. You, you drive to the end of the road, there was a, a little almost cul-de-sac of about six or seven homes with some mailboxes in the middle, and then there was a gate that led to a farm where my grandparents lived. You go through the gate, and about a mile down the road was where my grandparents' house was. And I remember we spent a few weeks there every summer. It was the best. It was so fun to be away from everything and just run through the woods, run through the fields. They had cows that were in the fields at times, and we'd you know, feed the cows after dinner and go on long walks through the woods. It was just a thrill of every kid who likes being outside. And I remember it seemed like every year this would happen, that during the, the span of about two weeks that we would be there, there would be a big thunderstorm that would roll through. 
And what we would do is kind of our tradition. We would get into the garage of my grandparents and they'd open up the garage doors and we'd sit in lawn chairs and just look out. And, and they had a perfect view, perfect setup where we could look out and you could see fields, you could see the woods over here and you'd see the storm just kind of working its way across. And of course, we were under the shelter of, of the garage and you're seeing all this happen. And it was so exciting to be able to watch it happen. And as you're seeing the progression of the storm come and it, you know, overhead and eventually it passes through. And I always remember the, the, the feeling of when the storm finally passed through, that it was just a quiet calm for at least a few moments right afterwards. No birds would be heard for at least a minute or so before, you know, before eventually you know, they would kind of start chirping again. But all you would hear is the drops of rain that were collecting on the leaves of the trees fall to the ground or the water that was dripping off of the sides of the roof of the house. And it was such a, a peaceful few moments as you're watching the storm, especially as it's all gone by and you're watching just the calm that appears after the storm. Um, God has a way of bringing an end to our storms the same way, where we're able to rest, where we're able to have this periods of quietness in our lives once again. There's a deep appreciation we gain for God when we realize that he is the one who brings the storm while at the same time being the master of the storm. The truth of the matter is that we are, are far more secure in the midst of the storm with Jesus than we will ever be on the shore without him. Sometimes we think that the Christian life should be one where we're driving around with Jesus on a parade float or flying around with Jesus in first class where everything is just luxury and just the, the most fine dining and the best experiences that life can offer. But the truth is that the Christian life is going to be full of ups and downs. No one ever said it would be easy. So just keep trusting in Jesus because the same God who brought the storm is the same God who also brings deliverance through the storm. God is always in control. And when you cry out to him, he will hear you and bring the peace that you so desperately long. We don't know when that's gonna come, but there's a promise that he will bring that deliverance for sure. The peace in the storm. And notice sixth, the purpose of the storm. Look at verse 30 once more. I'll be quick. He says, verse 30, then are they glad because they be quiet. So he bringeth them unto their desired haven. God didn't just rescue them from the storm. He says he brought them to where they needed to be. He bringeth them unto their desired haven. Now there's a disclaimer though. Sometimes where they thought they needed to be or where we think we need to be is not actually where we end up. Many times God brings the storm for us to see that we actually need to change our destination. One thing is certain, after having come through a time of crisis, we are not the same. And you know what? You shouldn't be the same after having gone through the storms of life. The work God was doing on us in those storms should open our eyes to see him in a much bigger and clearer way. And our desires often change when we see God clearer. Just ask Jonah how his desires changed once he was spit out onto dry land. Notice seventh, the praise after the storm. The praise after the storm. Look at verses 31 and 32. It says, and this is the verse that's repeated four times in this, in this psalm. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. 
Let them exalt him also in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. Honestly, what else would you expect to be done after God delivers us from the storms of life? And what makes this even better is that we're actually encouraged to praise and to worship God, not just privately, but corporately. It says, let them exalt him also in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders, which means that we're, we're sharing our needs. We're sharing our concerns with our fellow believers as well as our praises. Some people think that they need to be alone with all of this. After all, they're the ones who went through the storm, storm on their own. So shouldn't they have their own private time of praise with God? It is good to offer God private praise. But the Bible also instructs us to be praising God in the congregation and in the assembly of the elders. As a body of believers, we become something much greater together than we could ever be on our own. Think about how encouraging your testimony could be to a fellow believer who is currently in the midst of the storm and you have just come through the storm. How encouraging can it be to hear that someone else has gone through something similar to what you're currently going through and God delivered and brought them through and brought them to a desired haven? What a testament that will be to someone else. The truth is that when you come through the storm where you thought that all hope was lost, the praise you have to offer God is indescribable. Not every storm is going to end the way that you expect. Not every storm is going to um, end in a, in a positive way. Sometimes God changes plans in the storm. Sometimes God does some purging through the storm. Sometimes God brings pain, but all of it is intended for a purpose, which ultimately draws us closer to him. Sometimes God has to bring us to our knees for us to realize how much we've neglected him, how much we need him, how much he loves us, and how much he's doing for us every single day. Maybe you're here tonight and it's been nothing but storm clouds that have just been circling above you. Maybe the uncertainty of tomorrow has kept you up at night and wondering how things are going to work out and if they're ever going to get better. Wherever you are in life, and no matter how helpless you may feel, know that God is only one cry away. The same God who is willing to save all who call upon him in faith is the same God who is willing to help any of his children who call out to him for help. Help may come in different ways. It may come then on a different timeline than what you expect. But rest assured that God will bring that deliverance. Know that the storm has come for a reason. And that when it shall come to pass, God would have made you stronger, wiser, and more equipped to serve him. You'll find that you can't help but praise God for his goodness and for his wonderful works that he has done in your life. Would you bow with me in prayer here tonight? Lord, we thank you for who you are. Thank you, Lord, for your provisions. Thank you, Lord, for the storms. Lord, I know that we just touched on a few verses here tonight. But I pray, Lord, that what we've mentioned here, Lord, may be encouraging to each and every one of us. Lord, and I pray that we would really grab hold of some of these verses. Lord, oh, that man would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Lord, if we focused on that, then truly nothing would ever feel like a storm. 
Lord, I pray that we would keep our focus on you. Lord, as difficult as life may get, we know, Lord, that you have a purpose for all of it. We know, Lord, that you are working on us through it. And Lord, your deliverance is sure to come as we call out to you for help. We know that deliverance looks different person to person, situation to situation. But Lord, as your children, you have promised to never leave us nor forsake us. May we take comfort in knowing, Lord, that you are there with us, even in the midst of the storm, Lord, for you have brought the storm in many cases. And Lord, you are the master of the storm. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.